If you have your Bibles, you can turn <laughs> you can turn to Acts chapter 18. We'll be in verses 1 through 11. And as you're doing that, I want to tell you a story. One night in 1945, uh, Captain Terry Simrall brought his crippled B-29 in for uh, a safe landing, though it was, he, he, he landed amongst red flares and fire engines. He exited the plane and entered the uh, group headquarters tent, and his face was uh, absolutely pale. He, he was in shock. It was a long time before he could talk, let alone make, make eye contact uh, with others. There was a man on his plane that had accomplished an incredible feat and suffered miserably for his heroics and yet saved uh, Captain Terry Simmerall and, and the others on the flight. Uh, their plane's mission was to fly over the enemy coast and drop uh, this, this phosphorus uh, smoke, I'm going to call it smoke bomb, um, to mark the mission's target. It was the radio operator's job to release the smoke bomb through this narrow tube. So Sergeant Henry Irwin received this routine order. Uh, he triggered the bomb and dropped it down the tube, but there was a malfunction, and, and the bomb bounced back. It, it exploded, bounced back into Irwin's face, um, blinding both of his eyes. It, it seared off one of his ears. Uh, burning phosphorus uh, has no problem melting through metal. It, it melts through metal like butter, and this bomb was sitting at Irwin's feet, rapidly eating through the deck of the, of the plane uh, with a, a load full of incendiaries just beneath that deck. Uh, Irwin was alone because the navigator had gone up to uh, the, the transparent dome to go make some uh, celestial uh, calculations. Um, so Irwin had no time to analyze the situation and no one to help him. He picked up this white hot bomb in his bare hands and stumbled towards the cockpit, feeling, uh, feeling along with his feet and with his elbows since he was now blind and smoke was quickly filling up the entire plane. The navigator's folding table was down and latched, blocking his way, so he put the bomb under one arm, burning the flesh over his ribs. He unfastened the latch, lifted the table, and continued to stumble forward. And, and by this point, his clothes and, and even his hair were just ablaze. And as I said, dense smoke was filling the plane. So uh, Captain Simmerall opened the window beside him to try and clear out the cockpit from the smoke. And Simmerall said that he, he could not see Irwin, but he heard his voice at, at his right elbow. And Irwin said, pardon me, sir, and reached across the window and tossed the bomb out of the plane and then just collapsed on the flight deck. Irwin survived amazingly. He regained some sight out of one of his eyes. Eventually, he was actually able to, to use both of his hands pretty well considering what had happened to him. While he was still in the hospital, Sergeant Irwin received uh, the Congressional Medal of Honor. And it's one of the, to me, the most uh, uh, amazing accounts of, of, of courage, of heroics. Uh, it, it's one of those stories that just makes me wonder at, at the human will, the human spirit. Um, and as, as we've read through Acts, as we've read about the early church, and particularly Paul, I keep coming back to this story because I, I just, I wonder how does Paul keep moving forward? And it's easy for me, maybe for you, to look at Paul and, and really put him into like almost a real superhero category. 
Or like, how does he keep going? Like, like Irwin in the story, we can just sit back and wonder, how, how did he do it? How did, how did Paul keep moving forward in the face of such opposition and trials and hardship? All right? how, does, how does Paul keep facing mob after mob in city after city? And when I think about Paul, I, I think of his faithfulness. Right? He's persistently faithful to Christ, but how? How does he keep going? How does he continue in the face of persecution to speak about Jesus? Well, let's, let's jump into chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinthian, or Corinth, um, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So Corinth is about 40 miles west of Athens. It would have taken Paul uh, probably a few days to walk there. It was a prosperous city of Greece, a major port that was really the crossroads east to west uh, for the Mediterranean. The population is probably somewhere, it was probably somewhere around 200,000 people, which you imagine an ancient city of that size. It was known for its wealth, and it was known for its wild, wild uh, living. In Corinth, Paul connects with this couple, uh, Aquila and Priscilla. They had left Rome because of this edict from Claudius, um, probably in, in AD 49. And it's likely that this edict was because of the, the arguments among the Jews that they were having uh, about Jesus, the, the debate of, was Jesus the Christ? And this debating got so heated that there were riots. And finally, Claudius had enough. And he said, Jews, get out of here. You're leaving, you're leaving this place. And he sent them packing. In Corinth, Paul uh, connects with, with this couple, uh, with Aquila and Priscilla, because of Christ, because they, they shared a common trade as tent makers. Um, now, in these verses, there's just a brief mention at the top of 18 here about Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, Paul has quite the relationship, though, with this couple. He mentions them both in 1 Corinthians 16 as well as in uh, his second letter to Timothy. They're, they're key uh, members of the body of Christ. They're allies in the ministry of the gospel. They, they very clearly have uh, a dear place reserved in Paul's heart. And this, this relationship is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ at work together for the gospel. Men and women coming together, using their gifts, no doubt, sacrificing for the gospel together, partnering uh, in this gospel work together, supporting one another through the highs and lows of following Christ in uh, hostile circumstances. And, and we'll see more of this next week. We'll jump into it when we hit verse 18 especially, but we'll see Priscilla and Aquila play a, a particularly critical role in the body of Christ for this young up-and-coming preacher named Apollo. So more to come on that next week. But again, they're tent makers. Uh, scholars uh, agree that this meant they probably were leather workers. Um, and, and this was not a glorious job, right? People didn't find out Paul was a tent maker and, and, and want to hang out with him more because of that line of work. But what we see from Paul, what we've already seen, and I think this just further demonstrates it, is Paul do anything for the gospel, right? He was ready to work hard in order for the gospel to be preached. And, and 
We've got to know that gospel work is hard. And I don't mean being on church staff is, is the only way gospel work is hard or being a Bible study leader or a ministry leader or a youth staff member or, or whatever the role is, however you serve in, 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 in a church and, and for the sake of the gospel. No, it's, it's all gospel work is hard, no matter how you contribute. The, enhi- the entire church, we really need to view ourselves all as ministers of the gospel, all of us working together on mission to tell the world about Christ, which means we all have hard work to do, work that means sacrifice so that God will be glorified. And Paul had no problem working hard. He was ready to earn his own way by making tents, right, so that he could fund his gospel ministry. Paul himself said that those who preach are worthy of double honor, right? He's saying, no, they should get paid in order to serve the church in the way they do. But also in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said he wasn't going to take advantage of that right. He was not going to receive pay from those he preached so that he could say to whoever he was preaching to that he was offering the gospel free of charge, I read an article, I don't know if it was January 1st or, or January 2nd, on uh, 10 predictions for the church in America in the next decade. And one of them was that there will be a much greater percentage of pastors that are bivocational 10 years from now, uh, meaning working a job in addition to the, the job that they work for their church. And, and we know that, man, this is how it is uh, over much of the globe for pastors, right? Many of them are working one, two, maybe three other jobs just to to feed their family and continue the gospel work that, that they are doing. So I, I read that article and I recognized, man, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, that I get to earn a full-time wage for my family as a pastor. I'm grateful that we have, we have Matt, wherever he went, I thought he was going to be there, um, that we have Matt who wears all these different hats, including finding out a couple days ago he's leading music today. I'm grateful that he's here full-time. I'm grateful that Andrew's full-time. I'm grateful that, that Alyssa's here full-time. We have a, we have, uh, Joni's our, our bookkeeper. She gets to be here part-time. We have Brandon cleaning this place for us. Like We've got, we've got so much to be thankful for. And I'm also aware that, man, things might change. And, and, and at some point, maybe someday, I will be working a second job in order to get to do this. And we, we look at Paul and go, man, it's worth it. It's worth it. Verse four, Paul, it says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade the Jews and Greeks. Verse five, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. So Timothy and Silas come and, 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 they, and Paul is, is now able to focus his exclusively on the ministry. He doesn't have to make tents right now because, uh, because they came along, they came with a gift. And Luke doesn't make that really clear to us. But in a couple other places, Paul does. In 2 Corinthians 11 and Philippians 4, 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you, right? So these other churches are giving so that he could serve the, the people of Corinth. And he says, and when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. Philippians 4, he says this to the Philippian church, and you Philippians yourselves know 
that it was in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So these Philippian believers, they gave. They gave in order to support the mission work. They gave in order for people in Corinth to hear about Jesus. They gave helping so that, that a plant uh, or a church could be planted in Corinth. And we, we have this same aim. In a couple of weeks, uh, we're going to share about a number of, uh, of church items. In the beginning of the year, we always share about our budget for this next year. Uh, and last year, I know, for, for families, for, for uh, businesses, for some churches, it was a rough year. This economy has been brutal, right? And so we, we had to make decisions going into this budget year. And I won't get into all the details, uh, but the detail that connects with this passage is, is that every year, our, our minimum is that we're, we want to give 10% to uh, local and global missions. Um, uh, and we've committed to keeping that this year. Uh, we, we, uh, we had some one-time projects, some one-time uh, things that we supported with missions last year that, that are off the books because they're not, they're not needed this year. We had a family that came off the mission field in Indonesia, um, the main family in the last quarter. So, so we don't, uh, w- w- they don't need our support this year. So we, we've been able to say to our missionaries, hey, we're going to keep supporting you. We're going to keep supporting you the same amount that we were before because we want to see disciples in India and in Morocco and Spain. Uh, last week, we watched the video of uh, the McGinnises. Um, and, and I realized I should have said this for, for those who don't know who the McGinnises are, or maybe you've just forgotten this school that they work at. Uh, it's a school in Cameroon that, that mostly has uh, missionary kids, but these kids aren't all from the same uh, missions organization. They're, they're, we're, we're helping support many, many missions organizations as well as, uh, as other kids that, that are there um, uh, with, with them. So by supporting Andrew and Sarah, and we are helping a, a good school that, that is in a dangerous place offer this Christ-centered learning environment for uh, a number of kids, including missionary kids, uh, while their mom and, and their dad are, are navigating really dangerous uh, daily life in order to bring the good news to Cameroonians. So I could go on and on and on, but, but I want you to know that, that when you give, 10% of that goes to missionaries. And I, and I know many of you are, are giving to other missionaries on top of that as well. But back to the passage. This generosity of the believers meant that Paul could fully devote himself to gospel work in Corinth. And as we look at Paul's missionary journey, I think we have to conclude that it has been incredibly fruitful. That You really cannot argue with that. Many, many people have come to know Christ. Christ was preached in many key cities where, where it would then spread. Churches were planted. Leaders for those churches were, were raised up. They were strengthened. They were encouraged. There was much to celebrate. Right? These early churches, they were filled with joy, not only at their own salvation, but watching others come to faith as well. They, they saw Jesus' work continue through the early church. Right? There is much to celebrate. All of that is true. And it's also true that it was really, really hard. Right? Paul faced great opposition. He, he was arrested multiple times. He faced multiple beatings. He, he had to uh, go into these, these sketchy trials, these, these trumped up accusations. He faced crowds that wanted him dead. And, and while we don't know what that is like, I, I'm guessing every single person in this room 
knows what it's like to, to do good, and, and yet you just get run over for it. Right? You probably didn't get physically beat up, but it hurts maybe like you did. And maybe it actually hurts worse. I know, I know you felt that. And yes, you didn't do things perfectly. Right? But, but as best you can tell, your aim was to do good. And yet you feel like you got raked over the coals. And it's easy in those moments to go, man, this is unfair. Right? And I think that's where a lot of us might go. Maybe, maybe you directly question God. Maybe you don't direct your question at God, but you wonder, if I'm trying to do good, if I'm trying to honor God, then why in the world did this happen, right? And, and maybe there's even this hint of, God, how could you let this happen to me? Didn't you see what I was doing for you? In verse six, this opposition comes again. And, and if you haven't been with us, this is not Paul's first time facing opposition. It will not be his last. And we don't get many details about the opposition Right? But the opposition arises. Maybe they, they puff out their chest, they roll up their sleeves, they get really loud, and it's enough opposition that Paul needs to leave the synagogue. And as much as Paul has, has faced hard circumstances, he, he's had many times where he's had to make the decision, okay, it's time to leave. Verse six, when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there, and he went to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. So this opposition is strong enough that, that Paul shakes off his garments in front of them. This picture of, I've had enough of you. I don't want the dust that was near you that, that landed on me to still be on me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting rid of you. And then he says, your blood be on your own head, right? It's not, it's not my fault. I am innocent. And this flashes us back to Ezekiel 33. God's talking about setting a watchman on the tower wall. And the watchman is to be on the lookout for trouble that's headed their way, right? When, when he sees that, that cloud of dust and, and realizes it's a group with bad intentions coming at their city, he's to pick up the trumpet and, and blast that thing and warn everyone, hey, we got to get ready. Trouble is on its way. It, was, it gave the city the, the necessary warning and the time to prepare themselves. So God says, uh, watchmen, if the watchman does their job and the people don't get ready, well, that's on them, right? Their blood is on their own heads. That was their fault. But if the watchman sees and, and for whatever reason decides, no, I'm not sounding the alarm, and those people die, then, then their blood is on his head. And Paul's like the watchman. He's saying, I blew that alarm. You kicked me out, but, but now this is on you. You're gonna stand before God. You, you, you're gonna have to own that I told you about Jesus' death and resurrection, that it was for you. And, and this wasn't just the, the, the job of Paul, right? This is the mission of every believer. We're all ministers of the gospel. We're all called to be faithful. So in, in different ways, all of us are like the watchmen. We have a responsibility to tell the world that, that sin is real, that it matters, that God sent his son Jesus to save us, that we have no hope 
of saving ourselves, that we must turn from sin and self and turn to Jesus in faith for salvation. That's our job. Our parents, grandparents, you're, you're telling your kids, you're the watchman for your kids, others, you're watchman for your, your roommates, your coworkers, your, your neighbors. I, I can't uh, recall the name of, of this player right now, but I heard an interview many years ago, a guy who once played for uh, the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, he's a believer. And, and after his playing days one night, he had a dream, and he was not saying that this dream was biblically accurate at all. Um, but in the dream, he, he, he had died, his teammates had died, and, and he sees Kobe Bryant, who he played with. Kobe comes over to him, and, and apparently they were getting close to, uh, to coming before Christ and talking to Christ. And Kobe comes to him and he says, man, how did you not tell me about Jesus? And this teammate uh, of Kobe's woke up from, from this dream, obviously with massive conviction, regret that he had not talked to, to Kobe and I'm sure some others on his team as well. And I don't know the rest of the story. I'm assuming that he ended up trying to get a hold of Kobe and probably other teammates, but he clearly saw himself as, as the watchman for that team, right? He knew, he knew the danger of not trusting in Jesus. And in his dream, Kobe's blood was on his head for not sharing about Jesus. And we could all have that dream about different people, right? People that, that we know don't yet know Christ, Paul was able to say, I've done my part. I told you, right, on this day, I told you about Jesus. Paul was faithful, right? And that's what God asks of us. He says, be faithful, speak about me, right? What what does scripture hold up to us is what we want to hear, the words we want to hear from Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant. It doesn't mean that you are the most effective evangelist or the best Bible study leader, the best discipler, but he calls us to be faithful. And yes, we want to be fruitful. We want to be effective, right? but, but we will not be effective at all if we are not faithful. So am I a faithful follower of Jesus? Are we faithful to the great commission that we are all to be a part of? Well, Paul leaves He heads next door to the house right next to the synagogue. The ruler of the synagogue follows Paul and believes. Uh, His whole household believes. Many others believed and were baptized. So again, it's this picture of a ton of gospel fruit, much to be thankful for. But we see that it was still hard. Right? Even with the success of many more coming to Christ, even with the joy of baptizing new brothers, new sisters, welcoming them into the family, we see that Paul is shaken. He knew the routine. He preaches Christ. Some come to faith. Opposition comes. He gets beat up or imprisoned. He sings in jail. God does some awesome thing to bring glory to himself. And eventually he heads to another town and hits repeat, uh, almost this this, uh, kind of groundhog's day. I wonder how much Paul's body had healed up from the last beating. Uh, I suspect that each time that he took those lashings, his body hadn't yet fully recovered. Uh, My youngest son started playing football this year, not claiming that he's going to be a great football player, but that kid loves to hit stuff. Um, and so often that stuff is me. Um, so daily, 
he charges at me. He seems to wait until my shoes are off so that my socks will slide on our fake hardwood floors. And he gets this look in his eye and charges at me with both palms and he hits me right in my chest. And I'm not saying like, I can't sleep at night because my son hits me so hard, but, but it hurts for a while. If I'm honest, my chest is probably a little bit sore even today. So now when he gets that look in his eyes, my core tenses, my chest like tenses up. I probably even grip my teeth a little bit. I didn't think about it right now until I'm playing it through my mind here uh, because I know what's coming and, and, and on a much bigger scale, I think that's what's happening in Paul right here. Right? He knows how this happens, and Paul is, is tensing up for what he is sure is about to come. But we come to verse 9, and, and God has a message for his faithful servant in, in order to fuel Paul's continued faithfulness. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul's heart was troubled, and not just his body tensing up, but his spirit was tensing up. He was afraid. Otherwise, the Lord wouldn't have said, don't be afraid. In Paul's mind, what was coming his way was very predictable, his gospel preaching would result in, in opposition, maybe a riot, and him being beaten once again, maybe in prison. So Paul was worried about circumstance that he wasn't actually facing yet. And, and we all do that dance. We're all well-versed in that dance, borrowing trouble from the future that may or may not ever come about. And obviously it is true that there is wisdom in being prepared for what is to come. I had a teacher in middle school that always said, failing to prepare is like preparing to fail. There, there's wisdom in that, but let me give you some biblical wisdom right now. And, and it's not gonna be on the screen, I just want you to listen to it. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lincoln was on his way to uh, Washington to be inaugurated as the president, and everyone at that time was asking him the same question. Are we really to have a civil war? 
he spent some time uh, on his way in New York with Horace Greeley, who asked the same question. And he told him this anecdote that was meant to answer that question. In Lincoln's circuit riding days, he and his companions were riding to the next uh, court session, and they had crossed many swollen rivers that gave them problems, but the Fox River was still ahead of them. And they said to one another, if these streams gave us so much trouble, how are we going to get over the Fox River? Well, they stopped for the night at a log tavern where they met uh, the Methodist presiding elder of the district who rode all throughout the county in all kinds of weather and knew the Fox River better than anyone around. So they gathered around him and they asked him the present state of the Fox River. And he said, oh yes, I know all about the Fox River. I've crossed it often and know it well, but I have one, I have one fixed rule with the Fox River. I never cross it till I reach it. Man, that's a good rule really easy to, re to remember, not so easy to keep. Many of us are really good, including me, at crossing troubles before we reach them, right? In our minds, we borrow trouble that we aren't yet facing. We run through that conversation that we're convinced is gonna go this way or, or that, social, that social event that's coming that, that we know this person is gonna do that thing at or we know that so-and-so, they're such a gossip. So of course, right now, they're gossiping about me in this. Or maybe you're of the mindset that if, if life is too easy for too long, then disaster has to be coming and, and you've been on a good run, a little too good. So we run through scenarios way beyond getting prepared for what is next. We live these scenarios out in our minds hundreds of times, many of which we were never meant to undergo. God encouraged Paul, abandon fear and trust in him. And I just wonder how many of us need that today. Right? Maybe circumstances have been rough and your mind is spinning, your heart is weary. Do you need to hear God say, don't be afraid. Right? Stop worrying about what you think might happen. And here we, we see the first promise that God gives Paul. It's a promise that we see throughout scripture. I hope it's a promise that believers we cling to. He says, for I'm with you. Right? He tells Paul, don't be silent. Keep speaking. Why? Because God is with him. God says this to his people over and over again. He says this to you and me. He's, he's with us. Don't be afraid of circumstances that God has us in or that God will have us in. He's in control, right? We are never in as much control as we've fooled ourselves in the believing that we have. But God is with us. He is in control. And there are all kinds of challenges, right? There, there are gonna be difficulties in this next year. Uh, and, and we don't know what they are, but, but God is. God is over them. He, he's in all of these. And he tells us that he is with us. And I just ask, where else would you rather be than with God? I remember 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, right? We need not be afraid even when life is fearful because we are loved by God and his love is enough. I take it from what God said to Paul that Paul's fear must have made him afraid to speak 
which is kind of hard to believe given his track record, what we've seen from him. But, but that's, that must be what's going on. Otherwise, God wouldn't have said it. So he says, he says don't, don't be silent. Right? Speak up. Speak up about the Christ. Be bold. That, that silence, if he, if he gave in to those fears, that silence would have, would have imprisoned him. But his boldness, his faithfulness to Christ would overcome it. Right? Part of being faithful to Christ is speaking about him. Right? And, and maybe you'll never speak in front of a crowd about Jesus. Maybe it's over a phone with a friend or, or with that family member that, that seems so far from ever believing in Christ. Or maybe it's in the break room with that coworker you've been praying for. We are so often afraid to speak and it imprisons us. We need to hear God say, go on speaking, don't be silent. So Paul had to decide, was he going to trust God? Was he going to be faithful to God? That's what this is. It was an invitation for Paul to, to be faithful, to continue in faithfulness. And he had to believe that what God said to him was in fact true. Right? Paul had to be faithful in order to speak about him. I don't remember where this quote is from, but it says, God is over all things, within but not enclosed, without but not excluded, uh, above but not raised up, below but not depressed, holy above presiding, holy beneath sustaining, holy within filling. Right? God is present over you, under you, behind you, in front of you. He's inside of you. God says, don't be afraid. Be faithful. Keep moving one step at a time because I am with you. And God also promised Paul protection and care. He said that no one who's attacking you will harm you, right? He would not be harmed in Corinth like he had been before. And if someone had reason to worry about it, it was certainly Paul. He knew what it meant to be attacked for the gospel. He'd been beaten brutally. He'd suffered so much for the name of Jesus, but, but he would not suffer in that way in Corinth. God promised, right? God promised he would not allow that to happen. God told Paul, I have people here. I have many people in this city, right? God was at work long before Paul had ever arrived, God had been preparing the soil of people's hearts who at one time, maybe they were just enamored with the, the, the rampant sinful opportunities in Corinth, but they'd come to see, they'd come to know and feel the emptiness of it all in their souls. They realized that Corinth could never get them what they ultimately are longing for. People were ready to receive Christ. And Paul would end up staying in Corinth for 18 months. That's a long time for Paul. Many people would come to know Christ, maybe even hundreds. Paul's bold speaking resulted in fruit in Corinth. And, and as we'll see in our passage next week, persecution came. Or the persecution does end up coming, but just as God promised, as the opposition rose, it, it backfires. God protects Paul just as he promised. And as faithful as we have seen Paul in the book of Acts, his faithfulness, we have to realize, is fueled by God's faithfulness. It's easy to make a hero out of Paul, but he, he was the way he was because God was faithful to fuel Paul's faith. Right? He supplied what the apostle needed every step of the way. And we'd be foolish to think that God is less faithful to us than he, is, than he was to Paul. And I don't know what you're going to face this year uh, as a family. 
I don't know what you'll face this year in your career. I don't know what the economy will do. I don't know what kind of medical tests your doctor says are necessary this year. I don't know. I don't know what memorial services many of us will be at together crying through. And some of you, you're already in circumstances that just feel, they feel unbearable. The, the weight of it all makes it physically hard for you to breathe deeply. And God says, look at me. Don't be afraid. Be faithful to what I've called you to. Right? And, and we, we don't have this exact promise that, that Paul was given, that he wouldn't be harmed in Corinth, but we do know that God will protect us as he knows we need it. We know that we will not breathe our last a moment before we are supposed to. The promise that he is with us is true for us. The promise that God will provide for us and give us what we need is true. God's saying, don't, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Don't borrow trouble that may or may not be here tomorrow. God says, believe that I'm with you, that I will protect you in the ways that you need protected. Believe that I'm going to bear the fruit that I made you to bear. So I don't know how you feel today, right? For some in the room, man, maybe it wasn't a crazy week. Maybe life is going really well, not just this week, but for months, maybe years, right? It is easy for you right now to be thankful. And in those favorable circumstances, my question for you is, are you being faithful to Christ and the ministry that he's given you? That's the question. Are you faithful to Christ? And in some ways, being in in easy circumstances, favorable circumstances, that can be harder to be faithful when life is going well because we're we're more prone to forget our need for God. Paul says to the Corinthians that it's in his weakness that, that Christ's power was perfected in him. Right? When we aren't weak, we are more susceptible to thinking that life is good, and maybe we even think it's because of us, because of who we are, because of the heavy lifting we, we are doing, because we deserve it. It's easy to forget about God when the sun is shining down on us. So are you faithful? And my guess is others feel beat up right now. You feel weary. Maybe you've, you just want to throw in the towel. Maybe you're, you're home watching online today because you, you couldn't even think about coming in this room and, and, and someone asking you, how are you doing today? Because you're, you're convinced you just start bawling. You look at others and their easy lives and you wonder what it must be like to have such great circumstances. The question for you today is actually the same. Are you faithful to God? Are you being faithful to the ministry that he has given you? Right? The, the question isn't, do you have fruit to show for it? The question isn't, are you successful? The question is, are you faithful to Christ in, in what he presently has you in? Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your steadfast faithfulness to your people. Lord, we, we get so distracted. I get so distracted by a curveball, by a storm. Uh, I get so easily thrown off and, and I start panicking about all kinds of things. I, I start fearing stuff that isn't even actually here yet. Lord, I thank you for, for your promises to Paul. Lord, I thank you for, for all your promises in scripture that we can cling to. God, would you, would you fuel us to be faithful to you, Jesus? Would we be a people that are ready everywhere we go 
to talk about you with whatever opportunities you give us, Lord. Jesus, we, we want to see your name lifted high. We want to see you glorified, God. Would you give us everything that we need to be a part of your kingdom work? It's in your name we pray, amen.